Is there any hotter company out there right now than Drift? I know I've got it plugged in on my site and I suggest it to all of my clients as well. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter how good a product is if you can't sell it. And that's exactly why I brought CEO David Cancel on the show. He spent his entire career building products, the majority of which have actually been acquired. But it was his ability to listen and learn that gave him the right to sell. So we'll put our heads down and we'll just learn the hard way because we have an idea and we're just going to push through it instead of zooming out and learning from others. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Charlie Munger, who said, I constantly see people rise in life who are not the smartest, sometimes not even the most diligent, but they are learning machines. They go to bed every night a little wiser than they were when they got up, and boy, does that help, particularly when you have a long run ahead of you. This week, I'm beyond excited to talk with David Cancel. While he has founded several hyper-growth technology companies like Ghostery, Compete, and Performable, and was even chief product officer for HubSpot, David has never held an official sales job title. Today, he runs Drift, the world's leading conversation-driven marketing and sales platform, and co-hosts the Seeking Wisdom podcast where he regularly drops knowledge about putting in the work. If that doesn't keep him busy enough, David is also an angel investor and advisor for more than 20 other startups. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 78. But now, let's get to the conversation where David talks about growing up with no one expecting he'd ever achieve anything in life. I've been doing this for 20 some odd years, kind of building companies. And, uh, and I grew up in an environment where there was no internet, if you could believe that. And everything that you had to learn, you had to go to the library and you had to take the bus or the train or get a ride to go to the library and know the right questions to ask in order to to figure things out. And I, did, I grew up in an environment where I didn't have role models or even know what the word role models meant, mentors, any of that kind of stuff. And so what motivates me now is giving back and helping not only my kids, but helping, every, helping a million people out there, which is my goal, uh, unlock their potential because I never knew what my potential was. I've kind of discovered that along the way. I kind of describe it as being the Forrest Gump of stumbling my way this uh, to where I am. And I'm hoping to give people a little bit of shortcut, um, which is you know being able to learn from others, which I believe is is really the only shortcut that exists. I love that answer and that response, but at the same time, I have to laugh because even just today and last night, you were on Twitter talking about how there are no shortcuts. Yeah, there's only one. There's only one shortcut. That's uh, right. Carry the water. Do the work. Yeah, do the work. Well, do the work. That's the only secret. The one shortcut that I say is you can is to learn from others, right? And so, um, you know, I always quote from like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett from Berkshire Hathaway, and I always say, you know, I like the way that they frame it, which is everyone learns from failure, but you don't have to. But you can learn from other people's failure, not only your own. So like you can either do it the hard way or you can uh, you can you can learn whatever little you can from other people, which is a simple idea, which we've all heard. But so few of us are willing to do that. I think about all the things that you've learned in your life, you know, whether it's not to put your hand on a hot stove, right, like uh, because you'll burn yourself. Maybe someone told you that 
You don't have to go and turn on the stove every day and put your hand over fire and burn yourself to remind you of that lesson. And maybe you never even had to burn yourself to know not to do that. Why? Because you were able to learn from the pain and the experience of someone else. And there's so many lessons in life that we can learn that way instead of learning them the hard way. I keep learning them the hard way. So, you know, I'm talking about, I'm preaching to myself. I'm trying to get better at learning from others. I have to say this real quick. So, and I I was pulling it up through my notes while while you were talking. You talk about learning from your own failures, but also learning from others and being able to see that we live in a day where we have so much access to information that we can do that. It's crazy. But, but why aren't enough people willing to to suffer enough to go through the work to actually do that? There was a quote that I read by Umer Haig in the Harvard Business Review a few years ago. I'm just going to read it quickly. It said, it is no accident that the word passion arose from the Latin word for suffering. When we treat yes. suffering as merely pain to be escaped, we sacrifice passion in the process. In a world where so many want to feel passionate about their lives and their work, very few seem willing to suffer, but you can't have one without the other. And I think that's a, an incredible summary of everything that we're talking about right now. So I, but I'd, I'd ask you, and you and I, while, as you said, different, have very similar backgrounds. Why is it that most people aren't willing to put in the work to achieve the goals that they have for themselves? Oh, I, you know, I've thought about this for so long and it, it, it affects all of us. And the simple answer that I've come to is that is pride. That's Mm. it. Simple word, pride and the stubbornness that comes from that pride because we get locked up into our own, you know, you know, if you were to look at the cognitive biases, like consistency tendency is one that describes this, which is like, we've come up with an idea and we want to be consistent. We never want to, we would never want to go back and be inconsistent or flip-flop or whatever you want to call it. So we'll put our heads down and we'll just learn the hard way because we have an idea and we're just going to push through it instead of zooming out and learning from others. But, you know, I gave a rant, internal rant at my company at the end of December, at the end of 2017, we had an amazing year. We grew from like 20 people on the team to over 100. So we had a, a great year. But I said, if I look back at every mistake that we made in the company, and I gave five to eight examples, right? Specific examples. Every one of those, I can argue to you, I can make an argument that they were due to pride and stubbornness. Hmm. Because we're not willing to say that we were wrong on something, not willing to listen to someone else's idea, not willing to listen to the customer. They all came back. They're all the same thing, which is pride and stubbornness got in our way. And whether it was personal pride and stubbornness or collective pride and stubbornness got in our way. And so we put our heads down and we ignored what we could have learned the easy way. So true. So true. I sit here shaking my head through through all that. DC, we're going to go all over the place in our conversation today, but in this show- Uh, We talk about the attitude, action, and ability that has led to your success. So I want to dive deep into that. But here's the thing. If people don't know you, they're probably wondering why on earth I'm talking to a product guy on a sales podcast, but I know we're about to show them. So real quick, tell me what Drift is and tell me why a typical customer decides to buy from you. What Drift is, is a conversational marketing sales platform. So what does that mean? Basically, the simple thing is we think the way that we sell and market today in when we sell from business to business is broken. Right. And the simplest way we know, especially everyone in your audience who sells, the number one thing that you want to get to uh, with a prospect is to start the conversation, mm-hmm. whether that conversation is on the phone, email, chat, whatever way you're having the conversation. The number one priority you have is to start the conversation. But we've built a marketing and sales technology stack and system and process and motions in all of our companies that basically put hurdle after hurdle after hurdle after hurdle in front of that prospect and prevents you 
on the selling side from starting the conversation, right? And the way that we describe it internally is, uh, and to the world is like, look, if you think about your website like a store and you get all these leads, prospects to your website, why don't you actually talk to those prospects when they show up on your website? Why are you going to make them fill out form after form, get a bunch of nurturing emails, get pulled into this system, get scored this way, get pushed in SDR, and then maybe finally to an AE, you know, two, three weeks, sometimes months later, and then you're going to have to follow up with that cold lead and try to re-engage them and turn them into a customer when they walked in your store. Because that'd be the equivalent of me walking into to your store, Jim, and no one was there. And then you trying to get me back on the phone a month later and telling me, hey, DC, can you come into the store now? Now I'm ready to sell you because now I've decided you're qualified. Mm -hmm. If I describe it that way, you'd say that's insane. But that's how we sell today. In all of B2B, that's how we sell. So we think it's broken. We built a system that end runs around that system and basically focuses on getting the right lead that right prospect in real time to that salesperson so that we can shrink the velocity, increase the velocity and shrink the sales cycle and help you convert more. Sorry for that long no, answer. No, it's exactly what I was looking that's, for. That's what we're doing. But I, I'm immediately going to go to it's that pride and stubbornness thing, right? Because to guys like me who've carried a bag for the last 15 years and sold successfully to customers, I don't want you getting in the way of anything that I'm doing, right? So, but but you're right. Yep. You get to the website, you got to fill out a form, and then the form, like you said, goes to the SDR and all that kind of stuff, when really all the customer wants to do is have that conversation. But again, like I even in the conversation that I'm having with them, and I was talking to Mark Roberge about this before you and I jumped on the call, yep. the first thing that I want to do is qualify to see if I even want to have a further conversation with them. And I want to, mm-hmm. I, I ask mm-hmm. them for so much before I reveal anything to them. So I yep. know one of your favorite words is both, but it seems like you're <laughs> in the middle of this inbound versus outbound fight. So talk to me about that. Where do you sit? Where do we go from here? All that stuff that we did in terms of forms and creating inbounds and doing all that stuff, it works. It continues to work. It worked really well. But we built that. We built all that in a time that no longer exists. That time no longer exists. That was a time where, in, in any given category, no one knew how to write content. No one knew how to write a blog post. Everyone was wondering about WordPress versus, you know, hosting your blog somewhere else. Like they didn't even know how to write a blog post. They didn't know how to send the cold email. They didn't know how to do anything. And in that world, the company had all the control. And it, in most categories, especially software categories, you maybe had one, two, three competitors in your category. But now we're in a world of infinite supply. I don't care what you sell. I don't care if it's training. I don't care if it's software. I don't care if it's services. We are in a world of infinite supply. And what I mean by that is that the the choices for that prospect are endless. They can buy anything. Whatever you got, I don't care what secret sauce you think you have, someone can replicate that and someone else can sell to them, unless you're Comcast <laughs> and you have a monopoly. <laughs> but outside of that, anyone can, can replicate what you're doing. Uh, anyone on the phone. So in that world, you have to provide a better, the customer and the prospect are in control and you have to provide a better experience. And if you look at our own lives, the thing that we pay a premium for today are experiences. Mm -hmm. If it's a commodity, if I can get it anywhere else, I'm going to pay the cheapest price possible and look at all the things you spend money on. They're all about the experience, whether that's a service, software, a trip, or whatever you're buying, you pay a lot more for the experience. There's a reason that I pay more at Whole Foods versus my local supermarket chain. 
right? Beyond the food, you can order, you can argue about organic, not organic. There's an experience that I'm paying for. There's an experience that I pay at Starbucks that I pay them $5 for a flat white every day where I could get that somewhere else for a lot cheaper. There's an experience. And in that world, you got to figure out whatever you're selling, how do we provide the best possible experience in a world of infinite supply where that prospect has all the information? Unlike the early days of what we were doing on the inbound side, you could gate everything. You could make them fill out forms. You could give them no information. You could even sell them your service without ever showing it to them because you had all the control. And in this world, can you imagine selling something today, a software service today, without ever showing a person a screenshot of that software? I would say yes. You'd laugh and you'd say, say, yes, you must be a really good salesman. But it's hard to do it, right? It's harder than it was uh, before. And so that's the shift in the world that has nothing to do with any of us, but that we have to kind of continue to learn and evolve and can't use the tactics that we came up with 12 years ago and continue to use them every day and think that they're going to continue to work. So here's why I love this conversation. And I, I think there's going to be some some healthy uh, conflict and friction in this conversation today. I love um, it. And it's why I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, but one of the biggest things for me is like, I, I want to be able to sell a product or, or software without having to actually show the, the, the actual screenshots mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I know that if I run my sales call the right way, the questions that I ask are the experience. And so one of the challenges that I'm having in my head right now is I agree completely yep. with you, DC, is that we pay premium uh, for experiences. And if you're if you mean the front end of the sales experience, then I can see, yeah, the forms and 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 all the hurdles are a challenge. But if I need to qualify someone to get to show them how the delivery or the execution of what they're buying is the premium experience, how do I do that? How do I strike that balance? I think you can do both. I think by having that personal experience, which is what we focus on and what I'm advocating, by driving further to that personal kind of one-to-one experience, you can do it on the front end and you can do it on the, the back end. We have, you know, with our what we do at Drift is that we use bots to be able to do 24-7 real-time qualification for your prospects 365 days a year. Why the prospect will do that is very simple. The prospect will do that because we're all selfish and we want an answer to our question mm-hmm. immediately and we want things on our terms. We want Jim to call me back when I say, here's the time to call me back. What I don't want uh, being a buyer is I don't want to fill out a form, never know I'm qualified. And then Jim decides to call me back when Jim wants to call me back. And I've totally forgotten about why we're even talking at this point, right? Like that's the experience shift, right? And in both, you can have that human qualification that happens after the initial top of the funnel contact. But all we want to do in the sales process until until robots can buy from robots <laughs> is to have that conversation, to start the conversation and to drive towards that kind of one-to-one relationship. And fortunately, I think that we are still a ways away from that day where robots are buying from robots. We can't say that will never happen because the AI that's coming and, and even the stuff that you guys are building has been amazing. So yep. let me ask you this. So to me, no one will ever know the prospective customer better than a great product leader such as yourself. So talk to me about how you even got started in this notion of building products. And, and when was the first time you actually maybe felt like you were a salesperson? So how did I get started in products? I was an engineer, software engineer, a long time ago. Uh, started back in the mid-90s. And, um, and the, I had one superpower that I didn't know I had, right? So back to the idea of discovery. Uh, and that superpower was that I was an engineer who could actually have a conversation hmm. 
with a uh, <laughs> with someone in sales and marketing or a prospect. I didn't know that that was unusual, right? It's becoming less unusual today because the engineering field has changed and we're getting people who are a little bit more extroverted in our field but and in the product field. But back in my day, no one on those engineering teams was willing to have conversations with people. And because of that, people would seek me out those salespeople and those marketing people on my team, and they would want me to be the manager. They would want me to be in the customer conversations. They would want to drag me into it because I was the only one on the engineering floor who would just simply talk to them. I didn't know that was a superpower, and I didn't know why they kept coming to me. And so uh, that's how I I started to cross over into what did the customer want? How do you have empathy for the customer? How do you uh, create a product? How do you build a product? Because I was also building the product that reflects, you know, what it is that the customer actually wants. And I cross more into the product realm and less into the actual typing uh, code all day. And uh, and that was the beginning of my my adventure into product. You know, but it came from a, a center of empathy. It's it's completely um, interesting to me how many parallels we have. So I actually got into sales for the exact same reason mm-hmm. you just said you got into product. So I started my career, I wanted to be Funny. a designer, a visual designer, right? And what I found mm-hmm. early in my career was I was fine at it. I was decent, but there were so many people so much better than me at it. But my gift, my yep. superpower to your point was I'm the one who could have the conversation with the customer, understand their big vision, and then go translate that to the designer, have them do it. <laughs> but what I found was I, I all of a sudden I started to see what the customer was, was paying for things and what we could pay the designers to design the things. And there was this whole big gap of money in the middle. I said, who gets that? And and it was the business owner or commission for the salesperson. Like, well, that's the job that I want. And that's literally how uh, I got into this in this field. But it's one of my strongly held beliefs, David, that uh, this next generation of great salespeople will actually be subject matter experts that were taught sales skills as opposed to salespeople who were given product training. What are your, what are your thoughts to that? I love that. Obviously, I think it's true because I think the world has changed and people want to talk to, back to the one-on-one, they want to talk to the person who actually understands their problem, right? Who has that empathy, who can actually uh, have that conversation with them. And so I think people coming from that center of, you know, that center of focus, whatever that area is, whether they're coming from product or whether, you know, it's a service business and they've done the service before, they're just much more credible right? To those, uh, to those prospects, right? Because they speak their language. They don't have to, they don't have to, uh, and that's, what's been so powerful uh, for me building sales and marketing type companies, because I've had the advantage where our sales teams in those companies are selling the product that they use. And when you see them come from security or, you know, some other security or healthcare or something else that they were selling, and they're able to sell something that they actually use and know every day, Wow, you know they're superpowered. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're just like they can't believe the velocity that they have and why it's because of the point that you just said because they're subject matter experts. So how do we develop that empathy, whether it be on the product side or on the sales side? Do you have any thoughts or or, or skills or ways that we can actually truly listen to the customer? It takes a lot of reps and sets. <laughs> there I'll we go, that, reps but, and uh, sets. A lot of reps. Ooh, endless reps and sets. I'll say the uh, the way that. W- that I've done it, which I don't know if it's, I'm sure there are other ways, but the way that I've done it is in my organizations is to force it. And what I mean by that is everyone who's not on the front lines, who's not in sales, who's not in success or support, who actually talks to customers, 
we create ways where every week uh, those people have to be, they have no choice but to be exposed to customers. They have to talk to customers. Uh, we measure that. And that's part of our kind of DNA that we've built into the company. And that's the way that we do it. It's just like, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have tried to create more creative, more uh, sophisticated ways, I'd say. And that's hard to get compliance in that. And in my world, I'm just like, we're just going to force it. There's no choice. If you're going to work in in this company or your company, uh, you have to create a way that they have no choice but to talk to the customers. And when they do that, there's an empathy that gets created immediately that just comes from that exposure, from nothing more from them, from, from them exposing and feeling the pain that those people are feeling or feeling the frustrations or feeling the excitement that they're feeling. And it's natural. We are social animals as humans, right? That is what's going to happen. Even the most introverted engineer, and I was one of them, once they get exposed, they will develop that sense of empathy over time. I was doing a coaching call uh, this morning with a client and I said, hey, here's what I want you to do call me, leave me a voicemail. And then we're going to break down your voicemail because she kept saying, Jim, I keep leaving these voicemails and no one's calling me back. And so she leaves me the voicemail. And then when she calls me, I just play it back for her. And I said, okay, now listen to this. Would you call yourself back? And she's like, no. (laughs) Why would you expect someone who doesn't? Like you sound like a salesperson. Everything that you did on this call you sound like a salesperson, right? But I believe right now I could cold call you and I could get you to have a meeting with me. I'm talking about you, DC. I could yeah. get you to have a meeting okay. to talk about sales because I would say, hey, you know, as I'm talking with product leaders, some of the things that I'm hearing is when their uh, sellers get in front of prospects, they do an amazing job. The problem is they're just, they're not having enough of those conversations. Now, I don't know if that's the case there at Drift, but have you seen anything like yeah. that? And all of a sudden, you start to see, well, wait a minute, this person knows me. They know my space. They're, they're even saying the words that I would use. And it is that empathy mm-hmm. for, for your buyer. So let, let me ask you this. You, you talk about this customer yeah, feedback, I and, and I completely get it. There's a famous Henry Ford quote that says, if I had asked the people mm-hmm. what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Now, I know I've done my research. You don't buy that. But, but talk to me about that, because that's what I hear sometimes when people are told to just go talk to customers. Yeah, they, they like to hide behind that quote. I actually gave a whole talk in 2016 at a conference called Mind the Product on this very quote. My premise was, look, one, he never said that. So that's deep, been debunked. <laughs> but everyone hides behind that. All right. Two, if you look at what actually happened in the timeline, right, was, you know, his whole quote about the faster cars was that. Ford developed a monopoly when he introduced the Model T, right? But what happened right after the Model T, no one ever zooms in on, which is a few years after the Model T was introduced, uh, Ford continued to ignore the needs of his customer base, right? And what they wanted, and he could just kept producing the same black Model T, no options, same exact car. What that did was it opened a hole in the market for GM to come in and GM did the opposite. They said, we're going to create a car for every person, for every persona, for every personality type, right? For the mom, for this, for that. And they introduced their brands and crushed Ford in the market. And it took Ford, I forgot how many years, I don't have the presentation in front of me, but it was over 20 years to come back from that, from that very idea that everyone holds on to, which is like, well, I don't need to learn. I don't need to listen to the customer. I'm just going to, I know what's best. And um, that comes from pride and stubbornness. That is a ridiculous thing to think that you are going to know more than 
your customer base, right? And I love that I always go back to the Peter Drucker quote, which is the sole reason for a business to exist is to serve customers. There's no other reason that your business exists. There's nothing else, right? There's nothing, a company is nothing more than a collection of people focused on solving the pains of a customer and servicing those customers. And so I could go on and on about that Model T uh, quote, but one, it was wrong. Two, it actually led them in the wrong direction. That kind of thinking of not listening to customers opened up entirely competitive market and took the market away from them for at least two decades. It is humorous about that. Like I said, I do like to do a lot of research on my guests before coming on. So when I saw that, I was like, I, I, we have to talk about that. But just that whole sheer arrogance <laughs> of you can have any color you want so long as the color is black, even, even to that level. So, so how do we take that customer feedback, develop the empathy and, and actually activate what they're talking about, whether it be in our product or in our sales cycle? I think the thing, the friction that people have once they go, get beyond that quote uh, and that kind of thinking, that arrogant way of thinking, is that they don't know how to take something that they're hearing. They don't know how to listen, hmm. first of all, right? And salespeople have this as well, right? Everyone has this, but you know, product and salespeople are no different. They don't know how to listen. And so their interpretation is like, oh, I need to listen to the customer literally tell me, I want X, Jim, I want X, Y, Z, I want a blue button and I want it up here. And then they think like, well, now we have to go build that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Just like, you know, when you're listening to a prospect, how to actually discover in the qualification, what is it that they actually need, right? Get to the solution and the pain that they have. Uh, it takes the same skill. You have to have that empathy. You have to develop a way to listen to what they're saying and actually propose a solution that might not literally match the words that they're saying, but gets at the thing that's driving the pain that they're having. I want to dive maybe a little bit DC into this with, with, with you at Drift. And this isn't a commercial for Drift, but I am very interested in the way you guys are doing business. I don't want anybody listening to this show thinking that uh, Drift doesn't have salespeople because you do. We do. You obviously 100%. use your own product and you generate the sales conversations for them. And, and I know you have salespeople because you're giving away a trip to the Super Bowl to see Tom Brady put his sixth ring on. Um, but that's it. To, the, to one of our sales that's right. So, so talk to me about that though. Like, how do you guys do this at Drift? How do you go from that front end great experience with your own product to transferring it to a sales rep at your company to them running the process? What does that look like today? Yeah. So I'm glad you brought this up because we do have salespeople. We're just over 100 people, 32, I want to say around the 32 of those people wow. are salespeople. So we do have, we have quite a number of salespeople. They are, what's different in our model is that they're all AEs. We don't have any BDRs, LDRs, SDRs. Our product actually does a lot of the BDR kind of inbound. I want to say the inbound BDR function for us. Uh, so we don't have that in-house. We have all AEs. And what's different about us is that our our salespeople, our AEs, actually use our product 100% of the time to sell, qualify, and to close their deals. And so what happens is an AE comes in from another company, wherever they've come, uh, were at before they came to Drift, and they start using the product. And they have these inbound conversations that usually at most companies they would ignore because they wouldn't even have a way to have the conversation. 
or if they had some chat solution they would ignore or, or put into some big bucket. So these reps use our tool, which has the built-in qualification, has the built-in routing, and actually have conversations with qualified prospects in real time. And then they end up closing a deal in the first two to three days of being a rep here. And they have in this kind of holy shit moment, they have this, you know, they become evangelical about what we're doing. And then they go back out in the market and they sell to people and they say, there's a new way to sell by having this real-time conversation. I've never seen anything like this in my career. And so that's how they sell. And so our model is different in that we don't, we try to remove all the gates from the customer experience and get that qualified. And we try to qualify people using our product in real time as quickly as possible so that we can have that conversation with the rep you know, as soon as possible so that that person, the rep has a more qualified op and that person, that prospect on the other side has a better experience and they're getting something, you know, done on their schedule. Because most of, almost all of our customers are B2B customers and we sell to other businesses. And I hate to break it to you. Like if you sell business to business, there, you know, there's no teenagers who are randomly coming on your site. There are no like random people. You know, we all have this fear. I don't know where this fear came from, but I talk to people. They're like, oh no, like someone could stumble upon our website and then they're going to waste our time talking to who is coming to these uh, esoteric B2B websites and wanting to have conversations with people. It doesn't exist. Like if you're selling one of these services, you're selling B2B, someone's spending time on your website and they're coming back. They have some question about this thing right? They're not just browsing, right? This is like, we're walk. this is most qualified op. They're spending time reading whatever boring B2B thing you may be solving. Uh, and it's all exciting to all of us, but in, in, in general terms, it's boring to the general population. They're qualified. You better talk to them, right? I almost say like, look, I, you know, we have a lot of customers who have field sales reps. And as you know, you know, they have a different cost mm -hmm. structure sure. when you have a field sales team uh, or you have enterprise sales team. And I say, look, your reps sell Bentleys, right? They sell the equivalent of selling a Rolls Royce, a Phantom. And they're sitting around in this office telling you they don't have enough leads. And your answer is to put up more gates, more hurdles, more nurturing, more scoring, and more uh, and preventing those leads from coming from these reps who are hungry and saying they don't have enough leads. You sell Bentleys. Uh, if a, if someone walks onto the Bentley lot, you better believe that a rep is going to get up and go talk to them right immediately because they qualified themselves by first walking on that lot, and it's going to be a quick conversation to to understand where they are in the buying process. And you know, as Alec Baldwin would say, no one walks on the lot unless they want to buy a car. Right. So no one walks into your B2B website unless they want to buy. You said so much there that was just fascinating to me. You you, you clearly gave me the chuckle. You, you started to talk about other chat solutions. So you definitely acknowledge that there are competitors out there, for, even for you. Uh, some, there's millions. There's been there, uh, for 20 years, there have been chat solutions, but they don't qualify. They don't route in real time. They're not. Well, but so sales. hold on, though. You're, you're right there. You're talking about features. And I again, I've read your stuff. I listen to your podcast. Features mm -hmm. are commodities. Mm -hmm. You can't sell on that. So how are your mm -hmm. people differentiating with that feature parity? Because I, I know you said that the other ones don't have what you have. But again, you just told me you can't sell on features. Oh, 100 percent. And so I'm just uh, highlighting, you know, the differences. Are those features enough to build a moat? No, because lots of people are and can copying the features that we have in our system. What's different about what we're doing is back to what we were talking earlier, which is 
we have that empathy having coming out of building tools for sales and marketing for 20 years about what is it, you know, how does it, how do you build something for a sales rep? How do you build something for a marketer? What are the, th- what are the pains that they're going through that those other generic competitors in the market who haven't had that experience, who haven't spent that time even talking and spending time with those sales reps and those marketers, uh, those demand gen marketers, they don't understand. They don't have that background. So they might, they might copy the features, but they don't know the reason why we've created those features in the first place. And so that's how we stay one step ahead in the never-ending feature war. Features are not going to be your differentiator. Your proximity to the customer is a differentiator. You sold me. I, I'm completely sold there. So one of the things that, you know, the underlying theme of what I'm hearing you say there is empathy is what builds the brand. And it, it's it's interesting mm-hmm. because I don't sell products anymore. I sell services at this point because I'm, I'm doing sales training, but we're getting ready to redo my website yes. so that I can communicate to, to my audience. And I, I'm putting a big tagline or headline right at the top that says, this isn't your grandfather's sales training. Because mm. most of my competitors out there, at least in the Indianapolis market, one, they've never sold anything in their career, anything. Uh, the only thing they've sold is sales training. And so yeah. that, that's an issue. But so when I can go in and talk to today's reps and talk to today's VPs of sales and the CEOs and founders of these tech companies and say, hey, I've carried a bag. Here's the conversations we had. Here's what's going on. It is that empathy. That they're like, oh my gosh, where have you been? I'm tired of being trying to, uh, sold by these people who just claim to have sales training, but they don't actually know what today's environment even looks like. So <laughs> I, I'm completely sold. Yeah. Empathy builds brands. I love it. The other side, DC, of what you were talking about there, you said, you know, if, if, if somebody walks in a lot of a Rolls Royce dealership, some rep is getting up and going to talk to that person. I agree with you. Here's the interesting thing. So I have clients who, uh, who do 100% outbound. They have no inbound leads. And I have clients who yeah. have almost 100% inbound. Here's what's fascinating to mm-hmm. me. I've recently had one of my clients, the, uh, the, the rep went from one of the companies where everything was 100% outbound and she knows yep. how hard it is to develop your own leads to this company mm-hmm. who now has 100% inbound and she doesn't want to talk to half the people that, <laughs> that come in the door. It's like, oh, it's yeah. not worthy enough. They're not qualified enough. Like now all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's, I want them to be, have their credit card out. They need to be ready to buy and I'll just write the order. Yep. What in the world is going oh, yeah. on with that? It's madness. It's madness. And I've seen this. Uh, we don't, this hasn't happened at Drift because we've designed ways around this. But um, uh, I've seen this at other companies that I've been a part of in the past where, you know, the, the leads were raining from the sky. And so we were providing a bad customer experience. We were able to sell people who were probably less than, you know, a little bit less than qualified, I'd say. And uh, because there were so many leads in there and so much demand in the market that it was easy to go after that. And uh, and then you end up with, you know, kind of what you're describing, which is the, a lazy rep. And so that's that's not the fault of the rep. That's not, uh, the rep is not evil. The rep, there's nothing wrong with the rep. The rep is human. And the human is going to, is going to optimize for the scenario that they're in, whether they're a good person or bad person. And that, that is the fault of the manager and their training system at that company. They haven't created the right constraints that are focused on the customer in that experience. And so you as a manager, you as a trainer, you as a leader, your job is to create the right environment or the right rules and uh, so that your team stays within those guardrails or those uh, 
those, you know, the the end zone there. Yeah, I like that. What's interesting is she and I actually had a really good conversation around that, and I reminded her of her previous role, and she, you know, she thanked me for that because she's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of getting <laughs> getting complacent a little bit with with all the uh, oh, yeah. abundance that we have, if you will. It's crazy, isn't it, David? I gotta take a quick break so that I can say thank you to our sponsors. When we come back, it's gonna be time for the money round. So you don't go away, and sales tuners, you don't go either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. David, are you ready for the money round? Let's do this. Bring it. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Being a curious learning machine, as Charlie Mung would say, just continuously going to bed every night a a little bit wiser. And so I spend all my time learning. I'm obsessed with learning and I want to be, I hope I'm 99 one day, just continuously getting better every day. I know you say that you sell every day, but sales isn't your main capacity. I'm still going to ask this question. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Stay close to the prospect. Focus. That's it. It's only. It's always the fundamentals, uh, no matter what you do, but especially in sales. And I find like every time we get astray in our goals, it's because we've left the fundamentals. So I like the Bill Belichick approach. Do your job, stick to the fundamentals, good things will come if you practice. It's easy to say that when you have five Super Bowl rings, but I'm going to move on as if that's not the case. (laughs) Two-part question for you here, DC. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? I hate to lose because the way that I, I think it's my background, the way that I grew up, like no one expected anything of me. No one thought I would achieve anything. Um, And that's, I don't blame anyone, right? Uh, I wouldn't have if I were them, including my own family. And so um, what what fuels me is proving people wrong, right? Proving that I can do it. And so that hate, that losing part fuels me more than winning. So if it was winning, it would be some amount of money, some amount of titles, some amount of something. And it's not for me. It's the idea that someone somewhere can say that, that I couldn't do it, that I wasn't good enough. And so that's what fuels me. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? So many. So I have a whole podcast about this. The, the one that I come back to all the time and I reread probably every three to five years is called Managing Oneself. And that's, uh, you can buy for $5 on Amazon. It's written by Peter Drucker and it will take you 25 minutes, an hour if you're a slow reader to consume. Well, sales seniors, you can definitely check that out on Amazon. But if you'd also like to check out DC's suggestion of managing yourself for free, head on over to salesseniors.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salesseniors.com for managing yourself. DC, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? That's the cliche one, which is always spend more time with my family. So, and I won't say it's time. It's about, there's actually, my my wife told me about this thing about, um, that she was listening to an interview by John Stewart, who used to do Daily Show. And he had, you can imagine, an amazing, uh, crazy schedule when he was doing that show. And he said, but the one thing that he did was when he was home on the weekends um, and not working, 
he was 100% present. No phone, no meetings, no calls, never. 100% present. And, uh, and my wife always points that out as like, that's the goal. And so that's what I'm trying to do. That's on my bucket list. Be 100% present when I'm there. DC, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales students out there grinding today? You don't have to learn the hard way. Don't just keep butting your head against the wall. Go out, get mentors, read books, listen to podcasts like this. Uh, go check out YouTube. And uh, But I will qualify that. You want to learn from the best, right? You don't want to just learn from your buddy. You don't want to learn from your neighbor. You don't want to just learn from the last guy that you might stumble or, or gal that you stumbled upon. You want to go find who's the best in your arena, in the discipline that you're going after, and learn from them, even if that's through books, through YouTube videos, through what have you, but learn from those. Always go to the, the top and learn from the top. If you didn't get fired up listening to DC, you might want to check to see if you have a heartbeat. If you want to hear more, you should definitely check out the Seeking Wisdom podcast he hosts or find him on any of the social platforms as just D-Cancel. Let's jump right into my top takeaways. Number one, learn from others. Everyone learns from failure, but you don't have to learn from your own failure. Whether it's your peers, other professionals in your network, books, blogs, or even podcasts like this, you owe it to yourself to seek out knowledge, both positive and negative, from others. But be careful. You want to learn from the best, not just your buddy or some random stranger. Number two, pride will kill you. The stubbornness of pride locks you into your own thoughts. We have a cognitive bias around consistency that once we've formulated an idea, that we can't be inconsistent with that or flip-flop our position. However, this is ridiculously dumb and short-sighted. Be willing to listen to others and study the data that may challenge your worldview. Number three, good things come to those who practice. One thing that continues to amaze me is salespeople not practicing their craft. How much time do you prepare for each sales call? Showing up to work and running sales calls is not practicing. The biggest personal example I have of this is spending 10 hours on a Saturday preparing for a 30-minute call the following Tuesday. Yes, 10 hours for 30 minutes. That's doing the work. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay there.